Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, something I didn't mention last week. Um, in the Hebrew text, this is Joel chapter 4. And the passage we looked at last week, which was the last few verses of Joel, uh, of Joel chapter 2, were actually Joel chapter 3 in the Hebrew text. Uh, uh, just a, a little bit of uh, trivia there. Um, as we've been going through the book of Joel, we have seen how the people had sinned against God, they had broken covenant with God, and God... Um, did exactly what he had said in Deuteronomy that he would do. In Deuteronomy, he said, you know, when, if you break covenant with me, I will send a plague of locusts and there won't be any food left. And he said, I'll send armies in and wipe you out. And what have we seen so far in the book of Joel? So Joel, um, he was, though he was a prophet and God had revealed this to him, you can kind of see how whenever Joel was preaching to the people, he, had, he was able to base his message in the Scriptures that he had. We see that in the first chapter, he talked about a literal plague of locusts that came. But then in chapter 2 at the beginning, we see there's this army that was predicted that would come upon them and wipe everyone out. Now, we don't know all of the historical circumstances behind that. Um, We don't know exactly the date. As I've said before, there's no king mentioned. Um, There's no uh, historical markers in the book. So uh, we really kind of have to take a guess as to where it was written. So we don't know that with precision. But we know that there was this army that came and destroyed them. But yet God had pity on them because of His covenant faithfulness to, uh, to David and His covenant faithfulness to Abraham. God was going to save them. He brought judgment for a time. He brought judgment through the locusts. He brought judgment through the army that came. And and yet, he, He pitied His people and He became jealous for His own land. He restored the fortunes of Jacob, the text tells us. He pour, he, and He tells of a time in which one day He would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And we know from last week, Uh, That was looking forward into the future when Christ would come and after His resurrection and ascension, He would pour out His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Um, So that's bringing us up to right now and what we've seen so far. Tonight we're going to look at what kind of logically comes next. The people sinned. God judged them through a couple of different means. They repent. God heals their land. And He promises a future um, spirit that would come upon them. And it looks also forward to judgment on the nations. God had used a nation to judge Israel. 
And now, for the wickedness of that nation that he was using, he would now turn and he would judge that very nation. Now, this seems a little bit strange to us. God, you were using this people to do this, and now you're going to hold them accountable for what they've done? One of the concepts that we have to understand here is that God is sovereign and man is responsible and those things fit together. We can see this in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We see after um, every after at the end of the story of Joseph, you have uh, his uh, Joseph's brothers come to him and they're uh, concerned. They're afraid that Joseph is going to be upset with them because after the death of their father that he's going to mistreat them because of the way he treated them, or they treated him. And Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Joseph's brothers were acting wickedly. They were responsible for what they did. And yet, God was orchestrating the whole thing in order that Joseph would go out down into Egypt and he would be able to save many people as a result of it through the famine that God was going to send on Egypt. In the same way here, God uses nations to judge other nations we see in the Old Testament. He brought Babylon upon Israel uh, to, to judge Israel and Judah. and or Actually, he brought Assyria on Israel first. And after he brought Assyria on Israel, he brought the Babylonians on Assyria. And he judged the Assyrians by Babylon. And then later, he judged Judah and Jerusalem by Babylon. And they didn't get away with their sin, but instead, God sent the Persians and he judged the Babylonians through them. And the Persian Empire didn't last forever. They were defeated by the Greeks and on and on and on it goes. God is the God who rises up nations and He puts down nations. He raises up kings and He puts down kings. God does everything and He is in control of all powers. He is above all earthly powers. Well, here we see how God is is predicting through Joel a time when the nations would be judged for what they have done to Israel. And just like as, as uh, the prophecy we saw last week had to do with something that was far off in Joel's time, the, the, the fact that what, when Joel was talking about the Spirit being poured out, it wasn't something that happened in Joel's day, but it was something that happened in the future at the, at the time whenever Christ would come. Uh, in this chapter, what we see uh, when, when uh, the nations are judged, it looks beyond just the nations in the time of Joel and looks forward into the future to the end, to the final judgment. Amy read from the passage that talked about Babylon. Fallen is Babylon. Fallen is Babylon. Babylon was seen in Revelation. It's... It, it, Babylon was the, the height of the, of the powers of the enemies of God. And uh, in, in the book of Revelation, Babylon is used symbolically to represent the nations uh, that were uh, against God and against His anointed. And when um, uh, Babylon was judged, it shows that all of God's enemies were finally defeated. And when we look at this text tonight from Joel chapter 3, we're just going to look at the first eight verses tonight. 
Um, we are looking at this Joel looking forward into the future whenever finally God puts an end to all of his enemies. So let's go ahead and take a look at our text. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into, the, into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a, a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, Ty, O Tyre and Sidon? And all the regions of Philistia, are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away. For the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we understand that texts like this are, are difficult. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and Lord, help us to understand how this text shows your goodness, your justice, and your righteousness. Father, give me strength and grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. While God judged His people, they were still His people. He loved them. They were the apple of His eye. And when they were mistreated in the judgment, He was going to have His vengeance. It tells us here, Behold, in the days in those days and in that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I think what he's talking about there, uh, for, well, for, there's two levels here that we're thinking about. Remember, as, I, I've, as I've said, when you're looking at prophecy like this, sometimes there's a more immediate um, fulfillment and then there's something that he's looking beyond into the future that he's predicting. I think... Um, whenever he restores the fortunes of Jacob, may be referring to whenever he brings the people back into the land. And we know that Cyrus, the king of Persia, uh, allowed the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to be able to, to go home and have, have their land again. Um, but yet, I, I think whenever it says, though in those days and at that time, I, I, I think uh, the closest thing that we see that that may refer to in this text is what we looked at last week. 
It's at the same time that he that he pours out his spirit. He 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 told us he was going to pour out his spirit, and we know that happened on the day of Pentecost. Well, there again, prophecy just kind of when you're looking at it, it kind of um, it's. For the analogy, for those who haven't heard it before, there's, there's a, it's like mountaintops where you have a mountain range and you, you see maybe one mountain, but there's a mountain behind it. And sometimes when it, maybe the sun is shining and it, it just doesn't all appear clearly and you can't tell which mountain is which. And that's the way prophecy sometimes is in the Bible. Um, it, it says in those days, it's talking here about, about uh, the days when the Spirit is poured out and um, young men uh, dream dreams and, and the old men see visions and all that kind of stuff. But, but I think he's looking on further to a day whenever God would have justment, justice that all the nations who had spit in His face will finally be judged. What he says here, verse 2, I will gather all the nations and I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Every, all the, the nations, and, and, and by that I, I think he's t- thinking of, of rulers and, and authorities and principalities and powers of, of the earth. Kings and, and uh, rulers. He's going to gather them all together and bring them into a valley which is called here the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And we don't know where the Je- Valley of Jehoshaphat was. There's nothing on the map that, that says the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Um, it's been suggested that maybe this valley of Jehoshaphat would be the valley of Jezreel, which is close to the town of Megiddo, which um, you may re- uh, recognize the, the, the term Megiddo from Armageddon. Thinking that, that future battle of Armageddon at the end times whenever uh, re- Christ returns and there will be one last battle that takes place. Um, it's been suggested that that's what it's talking about. Also, the word Jehoshaphat, of course, there, it's a name of one of the kings of, it, of, uh, of Judah, and yet the name means the Lord judges. So it may just be an indistinct place where God brings all the nations together to come and have one final judgment, which I think looks a lot like what Amy read from, from uh, Revelation chapter 18. says, I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered among, among the nations, them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. A couple of things here. The first things it says that they have done are kind of more general. They have, they have scattered the people among the nations. And we can think there of the fact that the Assyrians, they did that very kind of thing. They, they scattered the people. They took them and they sold them off into slavery and scattered them all over the place. And then we also have the Babylonian deportation wherever they took the sons and the daughters of Judah and they took them off to Babylon and took them captive. And that's what uh, an army would do whenever they would come and they would defeat a people in order to, to make sure that they were subject to them. They would scatter them everywhere so that they could no longer be a people. 
This is what this, the, the, the nations, the enemies of God had done. They had scattered them among the nations and had divided up my land. And then verse 3, and have cast lots for my people. Here, uh, they have treated them as something to gamble over. To gamble over in order to get the spoil. And, and let's not forget, what did they do at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified? They cast lots. This casting lots was a sign of a defeated people. And, and that's the way they treated God's people, Israel and Judah. It says, they've traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. First thing we notice here, it's talking about boys and girls. Where are the adults? They've been killed in the battle. And all that's left are the children. Traded these boy, this boy that is, is made in the image of God, that is of value and dignity, and yet the way they're treated by this invading army is he's just sold as a sold so that he, they can get enough money to to buy a prostitute. It's it, which would be a small amount of money. This person that is of infinite value because they're created in God's image, one of God's very people, and yet they're sold. And, and it's all, they only get enough money that they can spend a night with one, with a prostitute one night. And then they've sold a girl for wine and a drunken. The same thing. This girl, this young woman who is of infinite value to God, made in His image, one of His very people, and yet sold for only just enough to have a drink of alcohol and drink it and it's gone. They have been devalued. They have been uh, degraded. That's what the nations had done to them. Then it changes. It's talking about what God will do. And then he, it's like God turns to two particular cities or, or this region of the Philistines. He says, and this is like God speaking directly to this nation. He says, what are you to me? O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia. Tyre and Sidon would be two cities in the, in the Philistine area, which would be up in the uh, north of, of Israel, and they would be over by the coast. And, and the, we know that the Philistines were historic enemies of God's people. Um, a couple of things here. We know, we know the Philistines were who they were fighting whenever David fought Goliath this historic enemy of God's people. And yet the Philistines were no major world power. The Babylonians or the Assyrians, those were the major world powers. You would think that if God was going to turn to one of the nations and, and denounce them with judgment, He would turn to one of the big guys. But maybe to show that even the small nations, they can't get away from God. He turns to little Philistia, to the Philistines. He says, are you paying me back for something? Of course, when God asks a question, he knows the answer. There's an expected no. God didn't do anything to them in order that they would then mistreat God's people. Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, then I will return your payment on your head swiftly 
and speedily. Here, God is pronouncing what we might call retributive justice. Retributive justice. Um, or retributive justice. It's this for that. It's, it's uh, if you've done this, then you're going to get this punishment which fits the crime. He says, For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my treasures into your temples. Um, we see the very same thing um, when uh, um, Babylon takes, the, uh, takes Judah uh, to, to Babylon, they, takes them captive into Babylon. Um, uh, we know that Nebuchadnezzar took uh, some of the, the uh, gold and silver items from the temple and um, took them and he put them in his own temple. And we know the story of, uh, was it Bel- Belshazzar? Uh, when, when he was having the party and uh, um, the handwriting was on the wall because he was using and drinking the very things that were supposed to be a part of the temple of God. Well, this isn't necessarily Babylon that this is talking about, but um, what, what, the, what this foreign nation has done, what the Philistines have done, is they've done the very same thing. They've taken uh, the treasures of, of God's people and they've, they've put them into their own temples. And in so doing, they've suggested that maybe they have defeated the Jews, they've defeated the Israelites by the power of their own gods. The ones that they put those, uh, those um, elements into their temples. Verse 6, You have sold the people of Judah and carried them to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own borders. Now, the Bible condemns slave trading, um, kidnapping, man-stealing. And yet, it says here, one of the things that this foreign nation, the Philistines, have done to them is they've sold them, and they've sold them to the Greeks. Um, Now, later on in biblical history, in Old Testament history, the Greeks are a major world power, but this is probably one of the reasons why this is maybe early. As uh, at this time, the, the point in sending them far away to the Greeks would have, would have been at the time way before Alexander the Great or anything, whenever uh, um, the Greeks were a major world par- power. If they were sold to the Greeks, they were to probably never be seen again. Verse 7, Behold, I will stir them up from the place which you sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. Here's that phrase again. First of all, He's going to bring these people who were sold uh, and and, and taken into a land that was so far away they thought they'd never see Him again, and God's going to stir them up and bring them back into the land. But then He says again, I will return your payment on your own head. He had said that back in verse five as well, or in verse four as well. I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. Again, this is this concept of retributive justice. So the Philistines have sold God's people, and so what does he say he's going to do? I will this is God speaking to the Philistines. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. It was good for you. It's good for me. 
It's what God is saying. If you're going to do this, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. One thing about this retributive justice. The world has a word for something like this. What you reap, you will sow. Uh, Now that's scriptural, but the world has a term for it. And that term, you may be familiar with it, is karma. What goes around comes around, right? What what happens if you do something bad, then you're going to get paid back for it. But there's a difference between retributive justice that the Bible teaches and karma. See, karma is an Eastern philosophy. Karma is something that's rooted in Hinduism and Buddhism and and the Eastern philosophies of the world. And basically, those religions are, they, they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They're pantheistic religions. And, and karma is the idea that the universe itself is wired in such a way that whenever somebody does something bad, then it's the universe that will then cause something bad to happen to them in return. But retributive justice says, no, it's not the universe, but it's God who stands in judgment, who personally enacts judgment on people for what they've done. You see the difference? There's an impersonal force that's just wired that way. Or there's God who is sovereign, a personal God who enacts justice on wicked evildoers. And the difference is crucial because in in a system like karma, there is no repentance. There is no grace. There is no escape. But in in the world that God has made, where we have a a sovereign God who enacts justice, He can show mercy. He can show grace. See, there is one day, a day coming, when there will be a final judgment. And God will will bring everyone from who has ever lived in this world, who will be there, and we will all give an account for everything that we have done both large and small, young and old, all of us will be there to give an account. And on that judgment day, while we will give an account for what we've done, there is an open door for grace now. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ in this life, those who have looked to Him when He comes to us for that judgment, He will no longer see our sin. But He'll see that it's been paid for at the cross. All the wrath that we deserve, all the wrath that should be poured out on all the nations, was poured out on Jesus Now, God is still going to come in judgment and He will judge those who do not repent. But for those of us who have repented and put our faith in Jesus, He has redeemed us. He has been our substitute. He stood in our place. The wrath that we deserve was poured out on Him. Well, 
This foreign nation had cast lots for the people of Israel. We deserve that done to us. And the soldiers cast lots for Jesus. While the punishment on Philistia was that their sons and their daughters would be sold as slaves. We deserve a punishment such as that. And Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I don't want to get into allegorizing or anything like that. But the truth is there. Jesus took our punishment. And the door is open. And anyone who looks to Him in faith can be forgiven. There is a payday someday. There is a judgment to come. And while we have breath in our lungs, we plead with people while there's still time. Trust in Christ. Turn to Him. Repent of your sins and be saved. But we know Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.